our second podcast on life after PhD. Today we have Sandhya Siriam with us and she's going to tell us a bit about her experience being a project manager and the second part as an entrepreneur. So Sandhya heard about our podcast and kindly posted on her startup website SciGlow. So Sandhya, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm glad that I can be part of this and I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. So Sandhya, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm uh, Sandhya Sriram, a project manager at Singapore Bioimaging Consortium or SBIC at ASTAR. Um, that's my full-time role. I'm also an entrepreneur and I run a company called Cyglo. I was wondering, could you give us a brief introduction of your background, like uh, where you got your PhD and, and what have you been doing after that? Sure. So PhD started off in 2009 at NTU in Singapore, Nanyang Technological University, completed in 2012-13, then went down the academic route of uh, doing a postdoc for about uh, four years and then uh, transitioned into a non-research job, which is a, a project management position right now at uh, ASTAR. Mm, my PhD was uh, purely in cell and molecular biology, so dealt with skeletal muscle cells and oxidative stress and diabetes obesity. Uh, postdoc was on obesity and diabetes again with stem cells. Um, and I think when I was somewhere around three and a half years into my postdoc, I realized that uh, if I'm not getting anywhere with the academic life, that is, if I'm not going to have a lab of my own in the next couple of years, then I would rather leave research and still be in science, still be in biotech, uh, but do something else. So that's where the quest for non-research positions kind of started off. Yeah. So how did it come to you that, you know, you don't want to be a PI? Because it sounds like you've been doing really well in science. <laughs> Right. Actually, I was quite lucky. During my PhD, I had about three to four papers, first wow. authors, and then uh, things were good. Uh, but along those lines, um, I had kind of set um, a deadline of sorts in my head for my career, saying that when by the time I'm 35, I should have an own uh, my own lab, oh, wow. in the sense be a PI or a group yeah. leader or something like that. And I was reaching my 31s and then I couldn't see that happening in the next four years in the sense I was applying for grants, I was uh, doing here and there, you know, networking, seeing how the environment was and all of that. And it wasn't looking very good in terms of um, even having 10 papers didn't really help unless uh, you have a very, very high impact factor journal probably and that I didn't. Uh, so that's when I got into the postdoc society at ASTAR and then started off my first company in 2014, which we can talk about later. And then I kind of stepped into different roles and I realized that I'm capable of doing other things rather than just research. And I enjoyed the prospect of staying in biotech and science, but not actually doing bench work. Um, and that's when I thought, okay, let me learn the other aspects of biotech, uh, like business development, the legal side of things, patents, regulatory, and all of that. And uh, this project management role kind of came in at the right time, at the right place. And then I just made the transition in the same institute where I was doing my postdoc. So I'm not very familiar with project management. So 
Is that a common role in all of the research institutes or universities around here? Definitely in the West, it's a very common role. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the East, not so much, but it is a very crucial role. And it's important that every institute or every university has this role. Sometimes, even though it's called a project management role, it involves a lot more sub-roles, I would say. Um, like I do grants management, I do project management, I do science communications for the institute, I take care of legal agreements between academic institutes, for example, for transfer of materials, for collaborations, uh, for NDAs, CDAs, and so on. Uh, At the same time, I kind of uh, take care of the different task forces that we have in the institute with relation to cardiovascular diseases or neurological or bioimaging and so on, because I work in a bioimaging institute, because we have different mandates that we work on, different groups work on different things. And it's basically a matter of coordination and making sure we get our deliverables right. Um, So it involves a few roles within that small term called project management. Um, These roles are generally fulfilled by multiple people in certain institutes, uh, in certain big universities. But in our case, um, our institute has about 100 researchers and uh, about uh, 15 to 20 um, PIs. And uh, one person, it was enough for one person to kind of fit that role. But at this point, we are seeing if we want to expand um, or rather split the roles into different people. Because now my role is transitioning a lot more into business development rather than just staying with project management. So it's kind of widened my horizon of experience in terms of just staying in the lab, you know, doing your research, writing papers, rather to doing everything else that involves in the science in the biotech sphere yeah wow that sounds like you do almost everything outside of wet lab research could you give us a bit of an idea what a typical day at work is like for you so it is a lot of emails it's a lot of meetings uh it's a lot of coordination so certain things that we haven't done being a researcher for example you would have never sat in front of the computer for so long. Like, it's a job that has to remind you to get up and take a walk, you know. It's that kind of a job where you end up sitting in front of the screen for eight eight hours unless you take a break and um, or you want to have lunch elsewhere and so on. So it's a a very email-heavy kind of a job, a lot of documentation, a lot of Word docs, uh, PowerPoints, and all of that. So a typical day starts off with, of course, starting off with checking my emails, replying to about 50 emails a day that I receive. 50, I would say, is minimal. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of emails from the PIs, from the researchers, from the legal side, from the patent side, from the commercialization side. Of course, I report directly to the director of the institute, so emails from him as well. Uh, So that involves mostly the first two to three hours of the day. And then post-lunch, it's uh, involving a lot of meetings with the PIs and with the relevant people concerned for a project and so on. Uh, So I have to make sure that they're all coordinated. They understand the legal side of things. And then I understand the science side of things. Uh, Because I have been, like from my PhD, you can see I've been dealing a lot with molecular and cell biology. But I work in a bioimaging institute. So they do a lot of MRI, CT scans, and biophotonics and so on, which which is not my cup of tea. But along the way, I've learned how to kind of understand the jargon and the terms that they use and um, what's involved in the bigger scale of things in bioimaging. 
So yeah, it involves a lot of people management rather than the actual project management to an extent. So you have to have a good rapport with the people that you're working around with. And of course, I have to deal a lot with the actual admin managers within the institute as well, like with the finance and with the budget control and all of that. So it involves numbers, words, people and emails. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Wow. So it's a lot more of talking to people, yeah. figure out what they would want to do and what they need from you. Exactly. So even though it's it's on the admin side of the career, it's not really an admin admin job. It's more I would say it's more people development, business development, project management scale of things. So it's it's definitely taking all the um skills that you've learned during your PhD and postdoc but to the other side of things so things like how do you how are you resilient how do you manage your supervisor for example and you know how do you manage to talk with him how do you manage to get their time because PIs are busy with their actual science right so we are kind of supporting that system of the management side of things for them so that they can do the science and we can do everything else around the science so it basically helps these PIs concentrate on the actual research which is more important for them because um, you would have heard that PIs, when they become PIs, they realize that they become more of an admin person than a research person. And what we try to do is get their hands off the admin side and we help them with all of that so that they can actually concentrate on the research, which is more important for them. So when PIs have research questions, do you actually have to approve them or discuss it with them in some way? I don't really, I'm, I'm, of course, I don't have the ultimate power to okay them. But like I said, I report to my director. So I kind of listen to all the PIs and what they have, or if they want me to kind of go ahead and contact another collaborator in an institute in Germany or a university in UK or US or something, I go ahead and start the conversations with these universities. Of course, the scientific scientific part of the input comes from the PIs, but I kind of manage the how do you coordinate, how do you get these people on board on one meeting and how do you kind of coordinate between them? Ultimately, the ultimate okay comes from the director of the institute. But I kind of um, am, I would say, like the vehicle that takes the information from the scientist to the director and adds the business side of things to that. And then he kind of understands whether it's worthwhile for us to pursue it or not. Yeah, so that's what I do. So you mentioned you have like a business side to your role. Do you have to go out and source for business industry opportunities? Right. So uh, until now, no. I mean, in the sense, my role is just transitioning into that. I, I like that part of the role where I go out and actually source for clients and for uh, external users to come and use these big equipments that we have, use the expertise that we have mm -hmm. in terms of bioimaging. Um, until now, A-Star as a whole used to take care of that part, but now it seems like the institutes want to take on a hands-on approach for that angle uh, because we understand what we have more than the A-Star headquarters in terms of that. So what we do is kind of work with the industrial development group in A-Star as well as with my director and as well as with the researchers instead. And I kind of, at some point, I, I go and sell our capabilities, if you want to put it that way, you know, just go and tell them that 
hey, you know, we are we are one of the biggest bioimaging institutes in Singapore, maybe even in uh, Southeast Asia. So we have all of these capabilities. We have these equipment. We have these people who can operate these equipment because it's not as simple as a microscope to operate an MRI mission, right? So you need that expertise and uh, the people who can analyze the data after the images are taken. That's the most important, the post-processing part. So we, I kind of go and... Um, make these other users understand what we have and what are our capabilities because you can only do so much in a brochure or on the website yeah. it's more about that um, you know conveying that message to that other person mm-hmm. so yeah I'm slowly transitioning into that and I'm actually liking what I do so it's okay yeah <laughs> so does this mean that you have to convince labs to share their equipment and time and expertise very true, yes. That's been a challenge. That has definitely been a challenge. But this comes in par with ASTAR's transformation of making things more accessible to the entire community within Singapore, within Asia, worldwide as well. It comes in par with its transformation of um, doing more external partnerships and collaborations um, uh, and opening our capabilities to the rest of the world, basically. We were doing that before as well, but I think now the push is even more to do that. Um, It's been a challenge to get these traditional researchers to get out of that mindset of, um, oh, I have to give away time from my regular work that I'm doing for a paper or for a patent, and I have to spend time with a person who's probably paying a few hundred or a few thousand dollars to get this part of the imaging done. Um, but it's a strong push from the director as well, from higher up as well. So I think now people are opening up their minds and um, okay to kind of give a few hours away. Having said that, we do have dedicated technical staff as well at SBIC. Mm-hmm. So they are specifically there just to train external users or um, answer queries from people outside that they want to use the equipment. I guess that's a good way to get money outside of grants. True. So it's a good a way to get money. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a good way to get more income, of course. And it's a good way um, in the sense of um, advertising our capabilities, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, it can be a bigger RCA, like a collaborative agreement with a bigger institute from somewhere else, mm-hmm. from Europe or US. So it kind of... See, things things kind of spread through word of mouth, right? So probably a researcher from... Um, Malaysia wants to use our equipment and then uh, he uses it for a FIFA service but then eventually he goes and tells his collaborator in the UK saying that hey by the way you know Singapore has this kind of uh, um, equipment and why don't you collaborate with them for a bigger grant or something like that Mm. so it kind of opens up ways for bigger grants for uh, more industrial collaborations as well as some income here and there yeah for sure that sounds like a really good idea because I mean, I guess this incentive for both sides, like sometimes when you want to collaborate with people and use their technical expertise, they're not as willing to share because they're worried you might scoop them or what do you get for their time they put in. So if you kind of pay per service and later on this gives opportunities where maybe ideas come out and then you can apply for more grants together. True, very true. So this this fee for service kind of concept, like I said, opens the doors for bigger things. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain fee for service contracts end as fee for service, like they come and use our equipment for an hour, two hours, three hours, and then they leave. But most of the uh, contracts end up end up being 
big collaborative agreements eventually. So initially they come test with us whether things work out between the two of us in terms of uh, using the equipment, if the cost is okay for them and so on. Um, for example, if it's a huge project that involves about six months of doing imaging, a collaborative agreement is better than a fee-for-service, right? Mm-hmm. It's because a fee-for-service charges you per hour. But a collaborative agreement kind of charges you 50% or 30% of that. But what SBIC gets out of that is part of being that in that paper or that grant or that patent application or whatever that comes out of that agreement. Mm-hmm. So it gives SBIC an edge over both the academic side of things and the business side of things. Yeah. So I think we are kind of in the middle of both, yeah. So you've mentioned you have to deal with a lot of the legal, financial, business side of things. But you train as a scientist, so where do you get these knowledge on the legal side, the financial side, and business side? Right. So legal, there are two ways that I got it. One is when I started off my company in 2014, that was Biotech in Asia, and then my second company in 2016, Cyglo. So that kind of gave me the whole aspect of legal, financial, budgets and um, everything else that doesn't concern the actual science you know how do you run a business because I was the person who uh, was the founder and the CEO and I ran the company for a couple of years and I am running Cyglo right now so it gave me the aspect of what are the laws in Singapore in terms of running businesses and all of that but I got huge training from the industrial development group and the legal group in ASTAR Uh, to help with reviewing of legal agreements within the sphere of ASTAR. So I did get about uh, five to six weeks of training from them when I first transitioned to this uh, position about 15 months back. So that's how I kind of got into the legal things. Finance things, we actually have a finance manager dedicated to SBIC. Mm -hmm. So she does most of it. But I definitely need to know my numbers in the sense of which researcher does what, which project costs how much and so on. So we, uh, so the finance manager and myself work a lot closely on that part, on the actual numbers. Yeah. So from what you've told us, it sounds like you have many different roles to play. Do you think in the new future you'll be hiring someone to help you especially on the grants role and talking to research labs and PIs within your institute? For now, I think I'll have to manage both for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. But eventually when things start getting more, I would say, proper lines in between the roles Mm -hmm. and responsibilities, I think my director would be open to hiring someone else to do the other things which which I was doing last year and which I'm doing on the side. Uh, which which I've kind of streamlined and made sure that anyone who comes in can kind of take over that role at some point. Uh, but for now, I think I'm okay with doing uh, both. Um, this is, I think it's just a habit of mine that I end up taking taking on multiple <laughs> roles and I kind of enjoy doing it. But I think at one point, I will feel that my hands are too full and then I have to like kind of uh, send it away. Yeah. But it's... Like, but what what you said, even though it seems like I'm doing all of this, I definitely get the assistance and help of all the admin staff okay. within the institute. A lot of input, a lot of mentorship from my director himself, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because yeah. he understands the business of things. He's been doing this in Europe for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then he moved to Singapore and then he has hands-on experience doing all of this. So kind that kind of helps along the way. And... 
you know what, being part of the postdoc society, being part of different networking events around ASTAR and in Singapore, I've been here for 10 years now. It's kind of given me access to people in terms of mm-hmm. where I can just send an email or pick up a phone. And then I'm like, hey, I just need your help with this. So can you like help me with this? Or can you like advise me on this? So it kind of gives that um, openness to things and access to things. So I'm able to kind of juggle things at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. To kind of wrap out our episode today, I wanted to ask what kind of skills and people would you recommend for being a project manager? So you should like people if you want to be a project manager. Um, when I used to be a scientist, I used to love being holed up in the lab, not being, I didn't want to talk to anyone in the sense that you're so used to that lifestyle that you hardly get to converse with anyone because you're definitely into your work. Uh, but I think when, when I started off my company and started networking, I realized that I am a people person. I can talk to people and I'm quite comfortable introducing myself to a random stranger at a networking event or whatever it is. So you definitely have to like people. Second one is you definitely have to like the computer. I mean, you have to like staying in front of it and uh, emailing and making sure you draft the right kind of email. You know, certain things are very um, touchy-feely in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, legal stuff and all of that. So you have to make sure you are right on point with certain words. Um, There's a difference between could and would. So you have to make sure that these terms are perfect. So it's a lot of attention to detail So if you're a person who likes organization, uh, attention to detail and stuff that needs to be done on time, if you if you are very punctual and very, like I said, time management, if you have those skills, then definitely take up a project management role. Um, It's all about conversation. So if you like talking, if you like meeting people, then go ahead for it. I don't want you I don't want it to sound very tough, but it's actually a very interesting role, Um, probably a role that I wouldn't want to do for like 10 years, but I would do it for at least three to four years to kind of get all the skills. And actually all these skills will help me do something else later. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us today and for Sandhya taking time to talk about her role as a project manager. So this is the end of the first part. Stay tuned for our second part where Sandhya will tell us more about her experiences starting up biotech in Asia and SciGlo. Leave us a comment and any suggestions for life after PhD and science now at singingdancingscientists at gmail.com. And if you like us, share with your friends and your family. <laughs>